I'm glad you're here. Let me pray with you. And, um, and let's pray. You know, we talked about Ukraine last week. And uh, I don't know about you, as you watch the news, um, it's just heartbreaking. And you realize that um, when Jesus said that there will be wars and rumors of wars, he knew the nature of mankind. And uh, that is our nature. And James tells us that we do those things because we lust and do not have, and so we war among ourselves. And that applies to me as an individual, applies to nations, and uh, it's just sad because there are a lot of people who are just caught in that, and it's always happened through history, and it's happening today. We just, uh, up until our generation, the last you know, 25, 30 years, we haven't been able to watch it 24 hours a day and see it um, happening unless you were personally involved in it. And it just, it's, it is heartbreaking, and uh, the Lord is allowing it, and he it will use it for his purposes. And we need to pray that he uses it for the purpose of, of individual people, that they may realize there's no security in this world, and that he is their only hope. And, uh, and then that he uses the nations, as the Bible tells us in Psalm 2, for his glory. And uh, he, he will. And we just don't know the end. We just see the process. But uh, we, we trust him. And, and one of the things you, you keep from being um, disheartened Overly, I think. I, I think we should be disheartened about the curse of sin. But to keep from being disheartened overly is that we remember the Lord cares and he is at work and, uh, and he has compassion and grace that's available if people turn to him. And we just pray these circumstances might cause them many individuals in, in that conflict on both sides to, to turn to him and give him glory for who he is. Um, it's just, theology is difficult, isn't it? Uh, we, we don't fully grasp the majesty and, and the depth of God's wisdom and his plan. We see it revealed to us in Scripture, and we see it, though, in Scripture as history, but now we're experiencing it, and sometimes we experience it personally on our own lives through through um, maybe persecution or sickness or uh, uh, personal struggles or things, but uh, we're seeing it on a world stage, and it's a little frustrating not being able to do anything. But we can do something. We can pray, and we uh, maybe respond in, in some way in humanitarian efforts or um, in, in some some way you contribute to the relief effort or something. I'm not suggesting anything, I'm just saying, uh, you know, we need to figure out individually, how do we respond? What do we do? How, how do we take a small measure of responsibility and, and do what we can? So pray with me, please. That's pretty serious to start out with isn't this morning. So pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you as we bow before you that you are a God, you've loved us, and Father, you love the people of Russia, you love the people of Ukraine, and that you want them to repent. Uh, you commanded all men everywhere to repent when Christ came. And, uh, Lord, you appointed a day of judgment, and you used the circumstances 
of life and nations and peoples, uh, Lord, to bring glory to your name and to give grace when people turn to you. And so we pray this morning uh, collectively as we think about these things, uh, Lord, that your grace would be made known and that there would be many individuals who who acknowledge uh, who you are and what you're uh, Lord, what you've done on their behalf in Christ. And Lord, even as they go through the suffering, might they realize that Christ has suffered um, before them and on their behalf. And uh, Lord, what a joy if they would come to know you and have a measure of peace and grace as they go through the suffering themselves. And we will be grateful for what you do. Lord, we trust you, uh, we honor you, and uh, we want to uh, give glory to your name this morning. I pray you'd help us as we look into the book of First Corinthians that we would see uh, ourselves, we would see your will for our lives. Uh, Lord, we would see as we have this pattern uh, of life given to the Corinthians that we need to mold and shape our lives like Christ. And uh, Lord, we uh, have these words as a guide. And so Help us to understand them. Lord, help me as we uh, go through them this morning to have a measure of wisdom. And we'll be grateful for what you do. In Christ's name, amen. When you come to 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul had been in the uh, city of of Corinth and for over a year and a half, and probably a little more than that, uh, maybe closer to two years. And then he goes to to Ephesus, and after he's been in Ephesus a while, uh, he evidently gets a messenger from uh, a church uh, that met in Clo's house, we'll read that in chapter 1, and they asked some questions about uh, issues that were happening in their churches. Uh, we, we get deduct from the text that there are different churches in Corinth, and occasionally, I guess, they meet together or they assemble together, but there's a church in Chloe's house, there are other assemblies, and so Paul writes this letter to them and deals with the issues that they ask him uh, about. Just a word about Corinth. I, um, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, how many of you read Pilgrim's Progress? And now you may watch it on television. But the thing, it's a, it's a Christian classic. Um, you, you should read it. And uh, you, it's, about, it's about a man who, he's on the journey to salvation. He gets, he's in his village, he gets called, I'll make it very quick, but it's an allegory written by John Bunyan while he was in prison for preaching the gospel in the 1700s. And so this man named Christian, he is on this journey to the eternal city. And it's an allegory of the Christian life. And in, in this life, he, he meets people like Mr. Duguid. He meets people like Mr. Over the Wall. You know, people who, and, and their, their names illustrate their character. And Over the Wall or somebody, I may not have it exactly right, but he comes over the wall into the Christian path instead of coming through the gate of Christ. So it means that there are people in the church who come over the wall. It uh, means that they're really not saved, they're just in the church. So he comes to a city called Vanity Fair, and and Vanity Fair has all the pleasures and all the enticements of the world. And in this city of Vanity Fair, he is tempted uh, for all the things that are in the world. He's tempted toward um, 
lust. He's tempted toward uh, possessions. He's, he's just tempted toward everything the world has to offer. And Corinth was Vanity Fair in, in their day. Corinth was a seaport town, and there were uh, people there from all throughout the Roman Empire. There were eight or nine temples there. Uh, probably the most well-known was the Temple to Aphrodite. And part of their worship practice was sexuality. Uh, they, you paid a fee and could have a prostitute, male or female. And uh, so you, and, and, and they, they made you believe that that was worship, that you were fulfilling your bodily functions and it was a worship to um, Aphrodite and so you can see how that goes over, how, how well that, you know, was, was sold, how easily that was sold. So it, it, was, a, it was a city of just, <clears throat> uh, of, uh, it was Vanity Fair, and everything was available, everything was enticing, and uh, these people came to Christ. Uh, they came to Christ, and now they're meeting uh, together as a church, but they're still living in the world. They're, they're still... And, and you and I live in the world. We live in Vanity Fair. Are you, are you aware? That if you have a television or you have the Internet, you live in Vanity Fair. Um, we, that's just a part of our world. Uh, we, it, it, in, our, in my generation, it has happened so uh, progressively that sometimes we get used to it. Sometimes we're not shocked by what we see my wife and I watch Jeopardy. That's why we're so smart. <laughs> and, and you know, um, <clears throat> you can take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, sometimes we're shocked about what happens on Jeopardy. And, and you know, the, the lifestyles that they promoted. And it's just, you know, so we're going to have to give it up one of these days. We're... <laughs> I'm convicted she's not yet, but <clears throat> <laughs> but you know, so we live in Vanity Fair. We just our, our as Christians, we are assaulted by the world, and you can't escape from, it. and we don't have to escape from it. Um, uh, the, the Bible teaches us that we're not not to be of the world, and we're in Corinthians. We'll get there one of these days, but it it, it says that you're not to associate with a brother, somebody who says they're a believer, who is carnal and lives in the world. Um, but it doesn't say, it goes on, it says, but you have to associate with the world or you'd have to go out of the world. So it's okay for us to do business with the world. Uh, let me give you a little illustration. I, I remember, you know, a long, long time ago, 45 years ago maybe, is that I'd just gotten saved, and M-System, you remember M-Systems here in town? M-Systems started selling beer and wine. And uh, we had a guy in the church who worked for M-System, and he decided he'd quit. And I remember one of the Sunday school teachers said she'll no longer ever shop in M-System. Well, today, you can't shop anywhere that they don't sell beer and wine. You, you just can't do it. You can't go eat anywhere they don't sell beer and wine. And so, you know, and I'm not... I, I don't want to get I don't want to get into that about whether the Bible teaches about drink or not. I don't want to get into that, but at this point. I don't I don't want to get into that at all. But I'm just saying you can't paint yourself into a corner and not live in the world. 
we're Christians who live in a fallen world. And the problem that we have is that we have this fallen nature that has not totally been redeemed yet. Now, we have been totally redeemed, if you know Christ, and we're going to go to heaven one day. We're going to read that, if I ever start reading, we're going to read that in the first few verses here. But but we still have this nature, and we battle the world. We have to be careful. And that's why the First Corinthians is so instructive for us, is that we live in Vanity Fair. We face the same things that these people faced, and it is a struggle. One of the things the Apostle Paul does a lot in his writing is that whatever the issue that he's writing about, he starts with a doctrinal foundation that would be the solution if you lived and stood on this doctrinal foundation, it would be the solution to the issues. Um, if, if, let me read what I wrote because I'm a little clearer. It said, I, I wrote, it's a foundation for solving problems uh, before he addressed the issues himself. And here's the idea we're going to get in these first uh, chapter of 1 Corinthians. If you know your position in Christ, you're, you're, you're better equipped to deal with the life that you live in and the world that you live in, and, and, and you're better equipped to interpret it and to respond to it according to that truth. So the first thing we read here is that our position in Christ, uh, our position means uh, that what our standing is in Christ. So read with me, if you would, beginning in verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sothesis, our brother. So Paul is establishing his authority. He, he wasn't an apostle under the, when the Lord was alive, but he was called by the Lord. He was called by Christ. So he's establishing his authority to respond to these issues because he's going to say some things that people are not going to like. And so he's saying that this is his authority. Verse 2, to the church of God, which as at Corinth, the word church is ecclesia in the Greek, which means an assembly. It's not this building, but it is you and I. We're assembled together this morning. We're the church of God. You go down the road to Bellevue, they're the church of God. Uh, you go across town, and people who believe uh, in the Bible are assemblies. They're churches. And then one day, one day when Christ comes and he calls us together, we will be one church. Uh, we will be one church at that time. We are one church in the world today, but we don't assemble together. So a lot of times the Bible's talking about local assemblies. Occasionally it's speaking of the church in the world. And uh, so occasionally it's speaking about the church with the tares, uh, unsaved peoples, inside the church. Sometimes it's talking about just those who, who are redeemed by the blood of Christ as being the church. So he's speaking then to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, now he's including us, to those who are sanctified in Christ, Jesus called to be saints, and all and with all who at every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it, all the way to verse 9. Grace to you and peace through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, 
that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called and to the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what Paul is telling them. When I send you these notes this week, I jotted down, I think it's 12 things, maybe 11. But first he says that you're sanctified in Christ. The word has two meanings. It's used two different ways. To be sanctified means you're set apart. To be called a saint, he's going to say you're called saints. It means you're called a set-apart one. You're set apart for Christ. You're sanctified in Christ. Now, we know what that means. We, we know that that means that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are under the atonement, atonement of the blood of Christ. We're justified by the blood of Christ. Not through our merit, but because of what Christ done. So we're set apart. doesn't mean that we're saintly in our behavior. It, it doesn't, you know, we, we use that word sometimes as a saint. We think, well, <clears throat> they're a person without guile. They're a person who... Who, who never sins, never argues with her spouse. They're a person who just has it all together and all, even tempered all the time, honors the Lord without ever sinning, and that's, that's impossible. That's not happening yet. No one's ever done that. <clears throat> no one's even got close, by the way. So what it means, though, is that by Christ's blood, we're set apart, and it, it's of the Lord that this is so. It's of the Lord, so we're set apart. That, that's what it means. So, <clears throat> and then in theology is that you're, you're justified by Christ. If, if we were to go to Romans chapter 8 and we read what's called the, the golden link of salvation, you, you would read there that, that you were foreknown by God, you were called by God, you were justified by God, you were sanctified by God, and then you're glorified by God. Sanctification in our life for our part is that, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is conforming us to Christ. We're in this process. He's working on me. He's working on you. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to cause us to to want to be more like Christ and to try to control and and to put to death the, the sin nature that we have to put it to death and to be like Christ and to behave like Christ and act like Christ, talk like Christ, think like Christ. And, and hopefully we're, we're moving in that direction. But it's never going to be a complete process until we are redeemed bodily and stand in the presence of the Lord, either at His second coming, uh, either at the rapture or either at our death. And then the body will be redeemed and then we will be without a sin nature. But today we're in this process, and this is, this is what he says. Uh, you're, 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 the verse to the church of God, which is according to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, called to be set aside, are called saints. And then uh, he says that Christ is our Lord. So he's saying to these people, Christ is your Lord. We're, we're going to see in a moment there, there were divisions, some of Paul, some of Paul, but he's saying Christ is your Lord. And, and the church is not our Lord. Uh, the pastor is not our Lord. Christ is our Lord. And he is our Lord. And then he says that you have grace. 
uh, in verse 4, I thank, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So you have grace. The grace of God is available to us who know him. We have that uh, available if we choose to trust him. And then he says, he, he, he thanks in verse 5, that you're enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Utterance is speaking, knowledge is knowledge of the word, and the word is about Christ. The word is Christ. So he's saying, you have this speaking and knowledge, you have it. And he's speaking to them collectively, not to individuals, but to collectively as a church and, and, and as individuals in the church as well. And then he says that uh, Christ is confirmed in you. Um, he's confirmed in you, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. His spirit identifies with our spirit. If we know that we're the children of God. So Christ is confirmed in, in them. And then he said that you have all the gifts of the Spirit are available to the church. Not to every individual, but all the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit. And you know, there's different lists of the gifts of the Spirit. We immediately, in my mind, always go to speaking in tongues and, and healing. And, uh, but the gifts of the Spirit are much, much broader than that. Those were gifts that were given to the early church before the completion of Scripture. When the apostles passed away, those gifts passed away, by the way. And so what happens then is the gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of administration, of teaching, of, of compassion, of love, of giving. All, all of those gifts, he's saying that, that you, as, you as a congregation, you have those gifts. And, and the gifts, I don't have all the gifts, you don't have all the gifts, but we have some. And we have one. You have a gift. And, uh, and God wants you to exercise your gifts, but he's saying you you haven't come short in any measure, and I want you. I haven't given you the context yet, but the context is they have this division going on among them about who's which group is better, and he's just saying no. Collectively, you're all there. Collectively, it's all available to, to all all of you. <clears throat> and then he says you have the assurance of Christ's coming. He's going to be revealed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, in verse 7, so you come short and no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's doing? He's saying to them, better behave yourself, Christ is coming. You better be thinking about the coming of Christ. You better be thinking about one day you're going to give an account. And we all are. All, all unsaved people are going to give an account. All saved people are going to give an account. The difference for us is that it's not going to be concerning our eternal destination is going to be concerning our reward and how we lived our life in Christ, knowing him. So he's saying to them, pay attention. There's going to be the revelation of Christ one of these days, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Blameless, the word blameless, it's used over in and, and uh, the uh, New Testament in Titus Timothy for the uh, qualifications of a, of a deacon and for a pastor. Blameless means you're without indictment. It means that you, 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 you're not without indictment of the people, without indictment of the government, without indictment of the society. But and when Christ comes, we're going to be without indictment concerning our sin. And then he says this, um, and he will, verse 8, he will confirm you to the end, 
He'll confirm you to the end. That's the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. If you know Christ, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to make it through. You, he's going to keep you. He has you in his hand and no one can open his hand. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption. So, so here, here we have this here we have this outline of, of, the, of, of the doctrinal position of salvation. You're sanctified by God. It comes from God. You're sanctified by God. You, you're being sanctified by God. You're kept by God until the revelation of Christ. You're going to make it. You, we call it, years ago, they called it once saved, always saved. And uh, so, uh, but if you're reading uh, systematic theology, it's the preservation, per, perseverance of the saint. You're going to make it through. God's going to see that you make it through. Now, he goes on in the scripture and says that you, it may be so as by fire. You may have the smell of fire upon you when you make it through if you don't behave yourself and you don't conform to the word of God and honor him. And so he's saying these. He's saying, you're going to make it through. These other people in this division, they're going to make it through. So he's saying to them, you're collectively, all of you, not just not just you, but the people you disagree with, they're going to make it through too because they are in Christ as well. And then he says, you have the promise of God's faithfulness. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You are called into the fellowship. So God is faithful and that you're a part of the fellowship. Fellowship means people. We're a part of the fellowship. I'm a part of the fellowship. You're a part of the fellowship. The Bible teaches that you're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we, we are joint heirs with Christ. We are, we are not Christ, but we're joint heirs with Christ. And we're a part of the family of God. And so what he's saying to them, without ever saying it yet, he's saying, they're saved, you're saved, you're saved the same way, you're going to the same place, you have the same Lord, you have the same salvation. You should look at your brother as someone who is like you, even though they may not look like you, even though they might not behave like you, even though they may have different ethnic background than you, even though they may have come out of a different uh, religious background than you, even though they may have a different preference. I'm going to bring it to our day about music. Some people have a different preference about Bible classes. Norma's grandmother came from a Methodist church when we moved her to Midland and so she came to our church and went to a Sunday school class a lot like this. And afterward, we said, what do you think? She said, well, that's just like another church service. Why would I want to do that? She wanted to go sit in a little group and gossip a little bit. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that all small groups gossip. <clears throat> all the ones I ever attended did. But I'm not saying that they do. But, but you understand, and I, and I understand that, and I, I'm not against small groups. We have small groups in the church. Many of you guys are in small groups. Uh, the ladies have a ladies' Bible study. I, I don't know if they have small groups or not. I never pay attention. But, <clears throat> but anyway, what he's saying is that you're in the fellowship of other people, even though they're not like you and don't, maybe don't think like you, and so you need to accept that. So then... <clears throat> When, when I think about here, he's saying to them, you have this standing in Christ. You, you, you have this standing, and it is the fullness of Christ's benefit in your life, and, and you need to be aware of it and react to, <clears throat> excuse me, react to your world 
because of this is it needs to be the foundational truth of your reaction to the world. Your first thought before you react should be, I belong to Christ, you belong to Christ. So how do I relate to you? I belong to Christ, so how do I relate to those who don't belong to Christ? I relate to Christ, so how do I, how do I, I belong to Christ, so how do I relate to my temptations in this world of Vanity Fair? How, how do I respond? How should I respond? What glorifies God in my response? Because I am Christ, and Christ is all to me, and he's done everything for me, and he's given me this position and standing, and he's given me these graces. So how do I respond? <clears throat> I put a little note in here about Augustine. You remember, <clears throat> there's ways to pronounce. He, he was the, one of the fathers of the faith in the 4th century, um, a, a lot of our Reformed theology comes from him, and Reformed theology is not a name, but the Reformation came from him, uh, and so, you know, came because of his teaching and writing. But he, he, was, he was a great, some people say Augustine, some people say Augustine, um, and so, but he, he was a lustful person before he came to Christ. He had a godly mother who prayed for him. He, he gives this outline of his, conversion in his book called the confessions uh, again it's a classic uh, maybe you should put it on your reading list someday it's very maybe a little difficult first reason i'm sure it's been translated into more modern english than since i read it but but in this in this he, he just said he, he had a concubine that he lived with he wouldn't marry her because of status and so had a child by her and he wouldn't give his heart to christ because he, he was lustful, and he knew it, and he loved it. <clears throat> and, and years went by, and I think, I don't remember how many, maybe 17, 18 years went by, his mother prayed for him. And, he had, it, it, and so, but he, but he came to faith in Christ, and he, 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 he wrote this uh, concerning his salvation. And, and this is what Paul's trying to get these people to see. He said, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You, speaking to God, you drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place, O Lord my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation. And he came to a realization, now he's free, he's free from that life, and he has Christ, and he, he, he died to that. I, I think about C.S. Lewis's illustration in The Great Divorce. I don't know if you've read that book. I'm giving you a lot of books to read this morning, but uh, Robert used this illustration a, a couple of months ago in the men's lunch. And, uh, but in The Great Divorce, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an allegory that C.S. Lewis wrote about people who came from hell on a bus and got to go into heaven. The great divorce means there's a great divorce between, uh, it's not family talking about, but it's a great divorce between heaven and hell. And, and it's, it's an allegory, so it's not true, and this doesn't happen after people die. But what he's, what he's, what he's given, he's given people's nature. C.S. Lewis is given this allegory. So they visit hell, but they're like ghosts. They don't have any firmness. There's nothing. And, and so now they're, in, now they're in heaven, and they're meeting people. They're other people whom they've known who are in heaven now come and talk with them and are going to talk to them about the glory of heaven. 
but they can't get it. They don't want to get it. They just don't, they don't, they don't, they don't like it. They like their sin. They, they like what they're doing. They like their home life. They like what they're used to. And, and they, they had this neighbor who was Christian and witness to them, and they're still mad at them. So they're not giving it up. It's a really interesting book. But then there's one man who, who comes and he's being talked to by an angel. And he has this red lizard on his shoulder. And this red lizard is his sin that he loves and that he's in hell with and has been with him all the time. And the angel says to him, I, I'm going to just use my term, if you want to be free, let me kill him. And he's saying, oh, no, he's my companion. I, you know, I mean, he's going, no, I can't. And he said, but, you know, if you want to be free. And so the lizard's talking in his ear, to, talking to the man's ear and saying to him, you can't live without me. I've been your companion all this life. You'd be lost without me. You, you would never have, and I'm going to, you know, you'd never have any fun. You'd never, I mean, what would life be like without me? I mean, you, you've enjoyed me. And, and, I, and, I, and then I promise to behave. I promise to behave. I remember before I got saved, I kept promising God I'd behave. <laughs> and you know, so he's saying, I promise to behave. And the angel's saying to him, you want to be free? Let me kill him. Let me. And so what he's speaking to the man about is his sin nature. And, and, and the Bible tells us that we're to die to self. We're to die to self. We're to die to the sin nature. And so the angel's saying to him, and so they had this conversation back and forth. The man said, well, maybe I'll just wait a while. He said, no, this is the time. He said, you know, maybe, you know, more convenient. He said, nope, this is the time. It's either now or, or, or never. So eventually the man says, okay. And so the angel kills him and throws him down, breaks the lizard back, throws him down. And, it, and so the man's neck, he, he dies, but he's transformed into a real person. He's no longer a ghost, but now he's a real person. Now, the problem with the allegory is that no one in hell ever gets out. No one in hell is ever going to be transformed into a saint. And so, but it's just an allegory. And it, but it's about our nature, too. And, and the, the issue is, like Augustine, you're never going to be free. And we who know Christ are still beset by our own sin nature. And we're never going to be free until we put it to death as much as we can, until we die to self and that's very difficult, isn't it? Very difficult. I like self. I pamper self. I feed self. I do, I do all those things. I want my wife to pamper herself. You know, so it's very hard to die to self. And so sometimes that's why we carry grudges. That's why we have resentment in our lives. And we have these things we deal with. Now Paul's going to deal with the issue, the first issue. We read about it in verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. After all, you're in the fellowship. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So here are the contentions. The contentions among you. Um, when he mentioned Chloe's household, it means there are others. There, there are other congregations that mean, I, that's what I deduct from it. And, you know, today, sometimes unsaved people will say, 
well, you know, I don't want to be involved in religion because there's so many different denominations, they can't even get along. There's nothing wrong with having different churches. There's nothing wrong with different denominations. Uh, they need to be biblical, uh, but they, their practice doesn't have to be exactly the same. When I'm saying practice, I'm not talking about their doctrinal practice. I'm just talking about their uh, practice. A, a lot of churches today have a traditional service and a progressive service. I don't know what word they use, but traditional service. And so you have different music. Preacher takes his tie off and preaches to the progressive, you know, or wears shorts or whatever he wants to do. You know, it's, so, but that doesn't make it wrong as long as it's the gospel. You understand that? I mean, so we, we just have these, um, so there's nothing wrong with denominations. There's nothing wrong. I mean, there's, there's something wrong in some denominations because they've gone completely away from the Bible. That's a problem. But that's a doctrinal problem. And if it's not a doctrinal problem, there is no problem. It's just a preference problem after that. And so here he's saying to them in verse 12, Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Cephas, or I'm a Christ. Cephas is Peter. And then he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, uh, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect, of no effect. So let me stop there. Let me just comment on that. About their issues uh, were not doctrinal, not, not not on this, not this issue. Their separation was sectarianism. It was that their preferences. So what they were doing, they were having issue over preferences. They were having issues over um, that they were looking to human leadership. And Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Christ. They were looking. They were saying, and, and there was pride. There, when you read this and think about it, what they're what they're what they were doing, there was pride in their separation. They were saying, basically, my group's better than your group. Uh, my leader's better than your leader. And then those who just say, well, I'm of Christ, so, you know, we trump all of you because I'm of a, I'm a Christ. <clears throat> Trump is not the president, but Trump is a card game, which, you know, when I was saved, you couldn't play, but now you can. I'm not sure why, but... <laughs> You, 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 under, you, under, you understand, it's just, I'm sorry, I can't help being making jokes because it's funny to me how, how life changes. Some things should change, some, some things should not. <laughs> they, they, you know, folks, we battle our pride, do we not? We, we all have our pride and, and it comes over into the church and we have our preferences, and then we have pride about our preferences and disrespect for other people's preferences, and we forget that's our brother in Christ. That's our sister in Christ. We are in the fellowship together. We, we're bought by the same blood. We're in the same family. Uh, we should be supportive even of our differences. As long as they're not doctrinal, we should be supportive even of our differences. I should respect your preferences. I don't have to... I don't have to go with them or like them, but I should respect your willingness to do that. Robert, 
our music minister is here, and one of the struggles in Baptist churches is music. And uh, I haven't heard him complain in a long time, but I'm not the pastor anymore either, so maybe that's why people don't complain to me anymore, because I have no power. But, <clears throat> but, but it's, it's a struggle, and I appreciate Robert, and I don't mind saying it with him here, I appreciate him, I appreciate the balance in our musical program, and I am blessed by it, and I hope you are as well. And, but it's a, it's, it's a struggle, it's a job, isn't it, Robert? I mean, it is a balance that you, it's, that you have to walk, and I'm sure he gets some uh, feedback uh, that I no longer receive, thank, thank goodness, and uh, he gets some feedback, and he has to have that balance and have grace in his life. And so I hope you're supportive, and when he's uh, leading us in one of those songs you don't like, uh, you just say, you know, somebody in here likes that, or he wouldn't be doing it. And so I'm going to appreciate them, and I'm going to be grateful for them. Your, your grandkids uh, would like it to be totally different a little bit. Um, they'd like the drums turned up and, you know, and the voices turned down or whatever. But, so you need to appreciate that as well. Uh, but that's just a little example. You know, we, we, we can't, we, we need to recognize that God has, you remember one of the things that Jesus said? Jesus said, that I have some sheep who are not of this flock. And, and he has some sheep in every age and every... He has some sheep all over town who are not of this flock. And they're his sheep. And he died for them and he loves them. And they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should be appreciative of that, even though we may disagree with some of the things that they do. So... Uh, I like what Paul said because I'm a Baptist, but Paul said in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So I think that puts a period to baptismal regeneration. If Paul believed that your salvation, okay, the Catholics say that you baptize a child to get rid of original sin, and I grew up in the Church of Christ, and they say, you know, that some of them, not all of them, but uh, that you have to be baptized to be saved. You have to be baptized by Church of Christ to be saved. And, you know, so that's baptismal regeneration. Now, I, I, it, you may be married to a Church of Christ, or you may have a child married, to, and I'm not saying all of them believe that, but the churches used to believe that. And so it's called baptismal regeneration. And Paul just said, if, if that were true, he would have said, God sent me to preach and to baptize. And uh, God sent me to preach and to baptize. But he said, I didn't come to baptize. I just came to preach. It's the gospel who saves people, not our works. Now, baptism is an ordinance given to the church, and I think you're disobedient if you don't get baptized. But there's a, there's a world of difference between, or an eternity of difference between salvation and obedience. Um, None of us, I've already said this a couple of times, none of us are completely obedient. Uh, we, we have this sin nature we battle, and so we're just, but, but anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Okay. Verse 18, uh, Paul goes on now, he's going to speak about <clears throat> the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what Paul wants them to focus on is not your little sectarian group, but I want you to focus on the gospel, the cross of Christ. 
It's, food, it's, it's the power of God to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the fool, of the prudent. Um, where, it, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are saved, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men." This is a tremendous, tremendous doctrinal statement, he's saying. Uh, the cross, uh, the cross is a word that encompasses all the passion of Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. The cross, when, he's, when he mentions the cross, we preach the cross, he sim- that, that um, uh, assumes all of that that, that goes with us. It, he's saying it is the central thing. It is not our preferences, but it is the central thing, is the cross of Christ. And then he says this about, it's a scandal. It is a scandal. Uh, the Old Testament told it was a curse for a person to be nailed to a tree. Uh, they would do that. You find it in the Old Testament. Uh, they'd take their enemy and they'd nail them to a wall or a tree and let them, people know that, you know, this is what you get. And the Romans brought it to a perfection and crucified literally uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And it, it was, they put them on a public byway where people would say, and say, you don't go against the Roman government. This is what you get. If you're, if you're seditious, and this is what's going to happen to you. It was a scandal. And uh, it, it, it was scandalous. To the natural person, and that natural person means one without Christ, what's scandalous is that you have to die to yourself. Um, you, you, I, I don't know over the years how many people I've talked to, and they, they, they know about Christ, they understand, uh, they, they hear, you know, and know that he died. They don't fully, maybe don't fully understand all the ramifications of it. But when you come to the place that you say, you just have to trust him. I was getting a haircut a couple of months ago and talking to a young lady, probably in her 20s, and uh, I, I was talking to her about, uh, about Christ, and I asked her about her sin, and, I, and then I, you know, I, I softened it. I mean, we're having a long conversation while they're cutting your hair. So I softened it, just, I didn't say to her, you're a sinner, you know, but, but I talked about my sin and, and that Christ took away my sin and took away the penalty of it, and and what about your sin? And she just said, uh, you know, she said, my mom's going back to church after all these years, not when I was growing up, but now she's going back to church. And she keeps talking to me about that. And I said, she talked to you about trusting in Christ? And she said, yes. And I said, well, that's what you need. You need to listen to your mom, and that's what you need to do. You need to trust in Christ. And here's what she said. But what do I do? What do I do? And, and then I... <laughs> I tried to explain to her, you don't do anything. There's nothing you can do. I, 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 I talked to a man a few weeks ago and about 
uh, trusting in Christ, and, and, and he's, you know, he, he wants to do something. Everybody wants to do something. We don't want to be completely helpless. We don't want to be, see, that's the scandal. The scandal is you can't do anything. The scandal is you're not worthy. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You, you, you could never in a million years, you can never accumulate enough points to earn your way to heaven. You just cannot do it. See, that's the scandal. And the scandal is, is that you have to completely deny your own, not, not your worth, but you, you deny your own ability to justify yourself before God. And mankind doesn't like that. Men nor women do not like that. You know, that's why the, there's more children saved than there are adults. Uh, the older people get, the fewer they are that are saved. And it's because children don't have a problem with that. They don't have the ego that we have. They don't have the pride that we have. It hadn't developed yet. They're, they're got, they've got the seeds, and it's going to get there. But they readily... They readily respond to what they hear. They respond to the gospel. But what we do, we just say, well, it can't be that easy. Well, it can't be that simple. And then as a Christian, I still have the same problem. Because when I'm in conflict, either it's conflict with self, man, or God, and that's where our conflict When I'm in conflict about what I'm doing or what I'm thinking or what I want or what, when I'm in conflict, I don't want to die to self. I don't want to give up self. And, and that's, what, that's what Christ asks of us. And it's a scandal. It's a scandal to the world. And, and he goes on and he, he, he talks about that uh, to the Jews, a stumbling block, a barrier. That's a barrier. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. To a Greek who had their pantheon of gods, it's just foolish to think you would, you would give up. There's nothing you could do. They just can't, they can't believe that. It's just totally foolish. So Paul goes on here, and he says in verse 26, and let's finish with this. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I read a little thing of an author I was reading after, and he said there's a, a, a lady named Lady Huntington. Lady is the title. wasn't her name, but it's her title. So she's of the nobility, and she was friends with Whitcliffe. And um, so she said, I am saved by an M. And, and the, here is the M. If we were to read that, and he says that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble... She said that if it had said not any instead of not many, I wouldn't be saved because she was of the nobility. And she said, but I'm saved by the hymn. God said not many. Some will be, but not many. Now, why? Because the more we have, see, this is a problem in our society today. The more we have, the more we know, the more we trust ourselves. The more we have, the more we know, the harder it is to say I'm not capable. I'm not I, I, I'm not worthy. I'm not... Uh, see, we, we've been fixing it all our lives. We live in a society where you can get it fixed. If you can't fix it yourself, you can get it fixed. Um, 
our pastor used to say, one of our pastors said, you know, it, money is never the problem. And I always thought when he was saying that, we were raising our kids, and I thought, well, it's not if you have some, but, but it's a it's sure a problem if you don't have any. And then, you know, but, he, but our problem is, is that the wise and the noble, the educated, the wealthy, and we're wealthy, all of us, we're, we think we're average, but we're wealthy. It's just hard for us to deny ourselves. It's hard for us to say, I'm going to prefer others above, above myself. I'm talking about Christians now. I'm going to prefer others above myself. I, I'm going to live as the slave of Christ, as a bondservant to Christ. We just don't do it. <laughs> and I'm preaching to myself, not, not to you. I'm saying we, but not me. But then he says in verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, for no, that no flesh should glory in his presence. No flesh is going to glory in God's presence. But that's our desire. We want some glory. We, we want uh, to, to be capable. We want to be worthy. We want to be able to glory in our own goodness. He said, but of him, verse 30, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory and the Lord. You know, I, I, hope you, I hope you think about this in the context. We, if you're not saved, you need to repent and trust in the cross. Uh, but we who are, we need to trust in the cross. We, we, need, to, we need to daily examine our, our choices, our desires, our conflicts, and say, am I honoring, am I glorifying Christ? Especially if your conflicts with a brother with a sister in Christ. If, if your issues or preferences, uh, we just need to be people who say, you know, the cross is more important than this. The gospel is more important than this. I, I, I need by my spirit to reflect the gospel. I, I, need, I, I need to reflect. I, I think I've told you a couple times, for the past year or so, that Proverbs is stuck in my mind, it's the glory of a man to overlook a fault. It's the glory of a man to overlook a fault. It means whether you're at a restaurant and your food is terrible or whether you're in a conversation with your spouse uh, that's not happy. Uh, it's the glory of a person to overlook a fault. I can't get that out of my mind. It's the glory of a man to overlook a fault. It's really hard to do. We want to be vindicated. We want to be justified. We, we, want, to, we want to win. I'm glad some of you are nodding your head. So. Not just me then, okay. Let me pray with you and we'll go. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to trust in the cross. We thank you for all these things that you have given to us positionally. Lord, you, you, you've graced us so uh, blessedly. Uh, let us respond that way to our world. Let us respond that way to the unsaved let us respond that way to the saved. Lord, let us respond in our families, in our church, uh, in, in our, our conversations with the people we meet in the world. 
let it be true in our own desires, Lord. Let it let they be molded by your word and, and what Christ has done. And uh, Lord, let us just glorify you, and uh, we will be blessed. We will be the people who have the peace that you've spoken about here that's available to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we'll see you in church.